0: Welcome to Living Through the Word, the official podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop, and I'm pleased that you've joined us today. We're releasing this the week after Christmas, and we're going to tell you why we're doing that for such a time as this. On this podcast, we have different guests from across the diocese. The global Anglican family to discuss topics that matter to you, to your ministry, uh, to life today. And it's my great joy today to welcome the Venerable uh, Michael McKinnon. Uh, Father Michael, welcome to Living Through the Word.
1: Thank you, Bishop Julian, and blessings to you on this morning.
0: It's so good to uh, have you with us. Just uh, before we get to the reason why you and I are doing this for post Christmas, Tell everybody a little bit about you. How did you come to faith? And then you passed a wonderful new church uh, in North Carolina. Just tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so very quickly, I was very blessed to be raised in a Christian family, one who my mom and dad taught us all to, to love the Lord, to love his word. Um, although I was raised uh, Roman Catholic, my parents read the Bible to me every night. So when I became Anglican, I told them it was their fault. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they made me a Bible Catholic from the beginning. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I just simply found that I needed, yes, to hold the ancient Catholic faith in order, but to do so under the authority of God's word as the Bible, as the ultimate source of God's authority in this world. And so I uh, became an Anglican throughout that time, I really don't remember a time when Jesus Christ was not my personal Lord and Savior. I grew up um, where he was part of my family as much as my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters. And obviously there have been times in my journey where um, that has become much more alive and much deeper. Um, And I just give thanks to God that I've always as far as I can remember, have known Jesus Christ. Um, I am very blessed to uh, have come to North Carolina and to serve our Lord and his word uh, under your authority, under your Episcopal authority. I came to North Carolina about a year and a few months ago. Uh, And as I uh, tell people, came with uh, no money, no people, and no building, And uh, within the year, um, we were blessed. We have 56 official members now. Very excited that a family of five are going to be baptized by Isn't full immersion. Yes. yes, absolutely. And uh, they're going to be baptized in.
0: Let's just pause there just for a moment. And I know this is a little off topic, but the, the old prayer book does talk about dipping the, the uh, candidate for baptism in water. And that's what you're doing, right?
1: literally uh purchased a pool (laughs) and uh so we we are going to be doing it by full immersion so for
0: our listeners in the southern hemisphere please understand that this is winter up here in the northern hemisphere so it's baptism by immersion and a little frosty
1: (laughs) yes I, i i i told them that had this been massachusetts where i came uh right before coming to north carolina that uh, if they truly wanted it outside, it, it would have been like the Red Sea because there would have been a a, a pillar of fire, uh, maybe several pillars, maybe the, all seven lampstands that are before the <laughs> throne of God all around the pool. So, uh, yeah, so looking forward That's to wonderful.
0: That. And tell people where Church of the Advent is and how they can find information on you.
1: Yeah, so the Church of the Advent is located... On New Hampshire, East New Hampshire Avenue uh, in Southern Pines, North Carolina, in what's known as the old Southern Pines Chapel. Beautiful. Just
0: beautiful, uh, indeed.
1: Beautiful little building. Uh, It has been Anglicanized as Yuletide has uh, been Christianized. So we have Anglicanized the building, but um, just a beautiful building. And uh, it can be found, our website is the Church of the Advent. Dot org or dot com,
0: and you're the only Anglican church in that close vicinity for people uh, to worship
1: in. In the ACNA, that's absolutely correct. We are we're the only one in all of Moore County, which is one of the fastest growing um, counties in North Carolina, and we are the only ACNA church in all of of Moore County, and we hope to uh, grow more and more. <laughs>
0: I'm just so thrilled to uh, have the privilege of serving as bishop for Church of the Advent and to uh, walk this journey of faith. With uh, the venerable Michael McKinnon. Now, Michael, let's get down to business. It's the week after Christmas. People are exhausted. They have been to church multiple times. We've had carol services. We've had uh, services where we've uh, thought of the nativity of our Lord, Holy Communion. We had Advent Four on a Sunday. Then we had Christmas. Um, it's been intense. It's like we need to take a break. but in fact, our liturgical year has some very important things. So just give us a little overview of the three things we're going to talk about today.
1: Yes, Bishop, Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about the three great feasts of Christmastide. And uh, Christmas actually is not a day. It is a um, it is a season of twelve days. Advent is not pr- particularly preparation for Christmas, nor is it part of Christmas. It is truly firstly and foremost preparation for the second coming of our Lord in glory to judge the quick and the dead. When I was young, I thought that meant that if I was quick <laughs> enough, I could escape judgment. But
0: It always troubled me as well, that phrase. <laughs>
1: I was like, I don't know that I'm fast enough um, to, you know, preparation for that. And of course, we do prepare for his coming um, liturgically at Christmas. Um, But Christmas itself is 12 days long. It is a season, and part of that season are the three great feasts that immediately follow the first day of Christmas. Um, You have Christmas Day on the 25th, followed by the Feast of St. Stephen, the proto-martyr of the church, the first martyr of the church, also known as Boxing Day in uh, many countries. Yes, and
0: and we're never actually sure why it's called Boxing Day. There are so many suggestions. But uh, I like to think of it as St. Stephen's Day.
1: Yes. Yeah. A, yeah. Amen. Of course, one of the traditions is to give to the poor. That's on right. That day. Yeah. And St. Stephen from Acts, uh, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, verses, I believe, 1 to 6, um. You know, states that you know among the seven, he was ordained to minister particularly to the poor, and of course, we if we know the song uh, from Christmas Tide, Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. We know what day that is. He looked (laughs) out on the twenty sixth of December, and so the feast of Saint Stephen, followed by the feast of Saint John the Apostle, the Beloved, followed by the feast of the Holy Innocents. And, you know, I remember a book that I read years ago, I believe it was called Violent Grace. Mm -hmm. And it was written by Michael Card, if you know Michael Card, uh, the musician, a wonderful musician and lyricist, wrote The Life of Christ as one of his uh, songs or albums. Anyway, he wrote um, about a violent grace and how we must be reminded that Christmas, You know, the the living bread which has come down from heaven is born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, the tabernacle of bread. And this is not a coincidence. And he's placed in a manger, in a feeding trough. And of course, we know that uh, in the celebration of Holy Communion that we take and we break. And, uh, you know, this uh, is the body of Christ broken for you, given for you, um, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And then we have St. Stephen's Day uh, and, you know, the first martyr of the church. And then we have St. John, although not martyred uh, unto death in the same sense, um, is a reminder of what is sometimes called white martyrdom, which may be more difficult than red martyrdom sometimes. And that is being a witness, the word martyr being witness, being a witness for Christ Jesus and for his gospel, the truth of his word, his living word. I get that little plug in for our diocese. Anglican (laughs) Diocese of the Living Living Word. Word. Um, And uh, a reminder that we are called to white martyrdom, to live for Christ and for his living word every day and to be willing to suffer uh, for that. And then the Feast of the Holy Innocents, uh, those who um, didn't even know uh, Christ you know, in any conscious way. And yet, because uh, of evil, because of sin, they were martyred uh, for the Lord and his coming into this world.
0: Well, let's pick up on each of those. But before we do, just say that phrase again from the musician. What
1: did he call this? Uh, I believe it was called A Violent Grace.
0: And you see, we see a level of violence in each of these feast days. We'll pick it up. Let's go to St. Stephen first. So, yes, thinking, may, may I just yep. mention that, that
1: some some will say that Yuletide, you know, you have Christmas, you have Epiphany, and that it ends with the Feast of the Presentation on February 2nd, when we are reminded again right. by, the, by Simeon um, that the Lord will suffer. And that uh, a sort of grief will pierce through Mary's own soul also.
0: yeah, uh, we picked that up, Michael, in the Bishop's Advent Teaching series just before uh, this season. Uh, and we looked at that specifically about um the the weight that must have been for Mary to have heard that in the temple that day. Okay, let's go to St. Stephen. We're thinking Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7. You've referenced much of it already. Stephen's chosen to serve, um, and he's chosen from amongst others, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders are being done, and then people get um, intensely uh, aggressive. They oppose his message, and he gives this most spectacular speech in Acts chapter 7. Uh, I encourage uh, the listeners just to take the time uh, to read that through, uh, to listen to the discourse of what's happening there in the speech. Uh, um, he, he's pretty direct, um, Michael, in what he says in that speech, right? Yes, I mean, my goodness, me! I mean, he he says at one stage. I'm I'm looking at verse fifty-one. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you have always resisted the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do
1: you. Yes, I tried that once, and I ended up in North Carolina. Yeah, my church. <laughs> be, you know, no, don't resist nothing. the Holy Spirit. That's <laughs> it.
0: That's it. And then Stephen is is they're so enraged, um, by by what they're hearing. Uh, they've heard these things we read. I'm in verse, verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, um, is standing there. Those listening to him, we we read, they ground their teeth at him. You can, I mean, it's, it's getting pretty aggressive here, isn't it? Yes. Um, Stephen's trusting the Lord. Uh, and he says, behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid their feet and garments at the feet of a young man called Saul. Isn't it interesting? We, we, uh, the church owes Paul to this ministry of Stephen. Fascinating. Stephen loses his life. He's stoned to death. He becomes the first Christian martyr. Thoughts about any of that, Michael?
1: Yes, absolutely. St. Stephen, called to serve the poor, along with Philip, the deacon, becomes a very powerful uh, preacher of God's word. Uh, So powerful that those whose hearts are hardened are so pierced that the the violence, the anger, the ungodly anger within them uh, overflows from them, resulting in, in this mob stoning him. And yet the opposite, his heart so opened to Christ, to the Holy Spirit, that he's full of the Holy Spirit, not only willing to give his life for the Lord, but to give testimony to the Lord As he's dying, and to become an icon of Christ Jesus. Note his words so reflecting the words of Christ from the cross of Father forgive
0: them. I mean, there's the analogy with Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is on the cross, Father, forgive them. Stephen, uh, Stephen echoes that here for those about to execute him. Father, forgive.
1: Yes, praying, praying for his persecutors, yeah. loving yeah, okay. his enemies, praying for his persecutors, yeah. and, and joyfully giving his life. And I remember that passage in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, meaning Christ, you know, he endured the shame of the cross. And so here, Stephen, joyfully, in a sense, uh, though very painfully, giving up his physically, giving up his life for Christ, for the gospel, and in those last moments, um, witnessing, the word martyr again, meaning witness, witnessing to Christ, and I can't help but wonder, even though um, they laid down their garments at the feet of Saul, who was overseeing this, kind of an irony in the sense of being an overseer, right, that Paul were seeds beginning to be laid in his heart, so. Interesting,
0: isn't it? Because none of it would have been a surprise to God. God knew, of course, foreknew what was going to happen in the life of uh, Saul, who becomes Paul. But here he is, a persecutor of the church, uh, um, uh, engaged, overseeing um, the the death of the first Christian martyr. It does remind us, though, Michael, also of the modern-day martyrs, um, and we think of uh, more christians today than at any other time in the history of the christian church who are losing their faith for the gospel uh across north yeah, we, Africa. we
1: we, we call that period prior to the edict of milan prior just before it, the council of nicaea the age of the martyrs That's it. and yet and yet more martyrs just stunning now just stunning, isn't it? And 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 I want to
0: encourage the listeners. Most of you know that uh, my wife, Brenda, and I spent almost 20 years working with Christian minorities in the Muslim world, uh, supporting, encouraging, praying, strengthening the community. We're talking about, in some cases, very, very small communities. I want you to remember this when we come to talk about the Feast of the Holy Innocents. There's something I want to say there about the Christian presence um, in Uh, Bethlehem, even today. But we're thinking, just briefly now, I'm going to get Michael to pray colic from the Book of Common Prayer 2019. Um, It's St. Stephen's Day, the first of the three feasts, the first martyr. We think about uh, courage that he had. We think about forgiving those who persecuted us. We think about the incredible, even that, um, even, even, even the death of Stephen wasn't wasted because we see Saul who becomes Paul, Uh, who the great missionary to the church. Michael, would you pray that that prayer for us? Um,
1: Absolutely. And those
0: who want to pray it with us, we're in the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, We're in the special feast day prayers for the church, and it's uh, on page 624. And you might pray it as uh, Archdeacon Michael prays now.
1: Let us pray. O glorious Lord, Your servant Stephen looked up to heaven and prayed for his persecutors. Grant that all our sufferings here upon earth may love and forgive our enemies, looking steadfastly to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who sits at your right hand and intercedes for us, and who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: Amen, indeed.
1: Bishop, let's move. Yep, may, go ahead, it, Michael. Yeah, came to mind when you asked me to, to do this with you, um, uh, yesterday. So, <laughs> I what came to mind was, um, in the you know, why do we keep these feasts? Yeah, why do we remember the martyrs in particular among the saints? And what came to mind was, uh, in among the writings of the apostolic fathers, the writings, um, uh, the, the martyrdom of polycarp bishop of smyrna and i just wanted uh quickly yes please it, it addresses it why we do this we why do we keep these feasts and particularly of the martyrs and the author writes for christ we worship as the son of god but the martyrs we love as disciples and imitators of the lord And of course, we mentioned how Stephen in particular was an imitator of the Lord, even unto death. And then um, the author goes on to say, we took up his bones, more precious than costly stones and finer than gold, and deposited them in a suitable place, and there, insofar as it is possible the Lord will grant that we come together with joy and gladness and celebrate the birthday of his martyrdom, both in memory of those who have contended in former times and for the exercise and training of those who will do so in the future. So right from the apostolic age, and of course, feast days go all the way back to Judaism, but the idea of of yes, we worship the Lord and the Lord alone, but we honor and love the martyrs, the saints, and we commemorate their days and their days to be celebrated, feast days for the um, the uh the Lord has been made known through them. I mean, I think about with with the martyrdom of, of Stephen before we move on from Stephen, what would you know, God working all things for good, Romans 8:28? What happened? The people scattered. But they took the from Jerusalem, but they took the word of God with them wherever they went. And so the word of God spread.
0: Let me just mention something about the saints, Michael, and I'll read from our catechism. It's question 100. Who are the saints? The saints are all those in heaven and on earth who place their faith in Jesus Christ, who are set apart, holy to God in Christ, transformed by his grace. And we have much to learn from them and especially uh, those that we're going to be speaking about today. Michael, great. Let's move to St. John. Uh, we're talking now December the 27th. Um, no doubt, Michael, you, of course, like me, are a lover of um, uh, fine things in churches. When you go into a church that has beautiful stained glass mm. and you cast your eye around the glass, you'll often see the images of the um The uh, four gospel writers, Uh, uh, the first, of course, being Matthew, uh, his image is the lion, uh, because he was seen, he specifically saw Jesus as the Messiah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then we've got a man standing for uh, St. Mark, uh, the most plainest and straightforward of all the human gospels, Uh, Luke, um, often represented by an ox, Um, The animal of service and sacrifice because he sees Jesus as the great servant of all, uh, for all men and women and children. And then we have the eagle. And uh, uh, I was in um, Holy Trinity Hillsdale uh, for uh, the Nativity of our Lord. And there uh, they have a picture. Of St. John represented with an eagle. Why an eagle? Because the eagle alone of all the living creatures, it's interesting, can look straight into the sun and not be dazzled. And of all the New Testament writers, John, in many respects, has the most penetrating gaze of all the eternal mysteries and the eternal truths. We see that in his great Christmas gospel, in the first 14 verses of the gospel— uh, and many people find themselves closer to our Lord by reading the Gospel of John more than any other book. And that's one of the reasons why in our Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, we've supported the initiative of uh, the Pocket Testament League to give away, to pass out the Gospels of John. Of course, he's also the one that speaks to us about the humanity of Jesus. He speaks to us <laughs> about the deity of Jesus and then two things I'm going to let Michael respond um he's he's also known interestingly in his gospel um uh, we read about the disciple whom Jesus loved it's it's he, he's mentioned four times uh, leaning on the breast of Jesus at the last supper um it's to this disciple whom Jesus loved that Jesus uh, commends and commits his mother Mary uh, when he died on the cross um it's to Peter and this Disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, whom Mary Magdalene met on her return from the empty tomb. I mean, imagine that. And it's this disciple whom Jesus loved who was present at the resurrection appearance by Jesus up in the north. Uh, in the Sea of Galilee, and that's a powerful story where Jesus meets with the disciples, makes breakfast for them. And he's he's also noted in, in the gospel, in a sense, as a witness. And you referenced this earlier, Michael. We hear his voice. He who saw this has testified to you. Uh, we read in John's gospel, he who saw this has testified to you. He's a witness, a martyr, uh, that you may go on and believe and keep on believing some thoughts for you about and from you about St. John, Michael, after that very lengthy introduction, I apologize.
1: (laughs) St. John um, is is special to me for one reason. Um, I was named, my middle name is after St. John, the apostle, because I was the youngest of uh, many children. Ah, There you go. And, uh, and so I, and, and, and of course, everyone knows that the youngest is the beloved uh so you know <laughs> uh just ask my older siblings and um but i also john, am the youngest ah, see, so we're in agreement here it seems good to us and to the holy spirit i
0: can't say anything in case my sister is listening
1: <laughs> <laughs> um you know so john you know being the youngest um likely of the apostles being rather young when called to to follow the lord um uh, follows him and is the one uh to, who is at the cross mm. he's at the cross so you know he's with the lord at the beginning of his passion uh mm. uh when the the last supper begins in the garden he's among the the inner circle the three peter james and john who are called um uh to be close to jesus and to keep watch uh with him as he confronts um the, the enemy and, uh, suffering, uh, in, in temptation and, um, and betrayal within the garden and is there with the Lord, uh, at the, at the, uh, at the cross. And as you say, um, among the disciples, uh, one of the, the first to, to hear of the resurrection and to run. Um, yes. More speedily than Peter, we might add, he, he points that out uh, to run to the empty tomb and to become that witness, and and lives quite a long time, uh, always with his life given to to the Lord and to to His Word, um, and I love that um, analogy of the eagle. Mm, I think so like
0: powerful one, that isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah, one like a flying eagle. I don't know if CBs uh, were big back in the day uh, in in your area, but when I was a kid, CBs were huge. And my handle was Flying Eagle after St. John from the book of Revelation, one like a flying eagle. And so, uh, you know, the idea that they can look directly into the sun and, you know, of course, he's one again, one of the three who beheld Jesus uh, in the transfiguration. He beheld his glory, as he says in John chapter one. Uh, you know, we have beheld his glory. Um, I believe, course, I didn't make this up, but it comes from others. But believe that, you know, that's a reference to the transfiguration. Yes. We have beheld his glory.
0: It's fascinating that Michael. I often say, you know, Jesus gave his life for the world. He was he 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 engaged so closely with those twelve, but he poured his life into three. Peter James and John, mm-hmm. and uh, you're referencing that moment of the transfiguration here. John's there. It must have been the most incredible
1: event, absolutely. Um, and and you know, being able to behold Jesus mm. in his divinity, even to have a glimpse mm. uh, into the the uh, the person who they knew. Um, and to realize, you know, cause they, they certainly knew, uh, because they knew Mary, they, I'm sure they knew the story of his birth and to know who is this child born to us in Bethlehem. He is not only the son of God, the father, but God of God, light of light, very God of very God.
0: And we remember him, I'll get you to pray for prayer in just a moment, December 27. Uh, let me just make some uh, some concluding thoughts here about John. Later in life, most scholars I believe John goes on and he lives in the city of Ephesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Irenaeus, the Bishop of Leon, uh, around 180 AD, says John wrote his gospel and his letters uh, there at Ephesus. He's later on the, the island of Patmos when he receives a vision of the um, Revelation. Um, that being the case, I just I just offer this. For 70 years, John had thought of Jesus day by day. Um, the Holy Spirit had opened out to him the meaning of what Jesus had said. So when John comes now, at the end of his life and his days he knew were numbered, he sits down to remember not only what he had heard Jesus say, being so close to him, leaning on, on his breast, But now he knows what Jesus meant. And he remembered how Jesus had said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. John said that, chapter 16. And there were many things, no doubt, which 70 years ago he hadn't understood. Many things which in 70 years the spirit of truth had revealed to him. And when we read his gospel, let's remember we are reading the gospel uh, in which we see the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the things that Jesus said. And he reminds us, he reminds us, this is Jesus, the word who becomes flesh.
1: Amen. And, you know, I think about that moment when he lays his head upon Mm. um, the breast of Jesus. So beautiful, Uh, And I think about how when we partake in the sufferings of the Lord, um, which is the, you know, that's the moment of God's forgiveness, God's love, his mercy, his truth, all being poured out uh, upon the world for the salvation of the world, um, that that's the intimacy that we share with the Lord is, uh, can be articulated in a sense by imagining that we are now placing our heads upon the breast of Jesus close oh, to his heart. Oh. And when he's at the Last Supper, you know, when we uh, encounter the Lord spiritually um, in Holy Communion, that the the intimacy is so beautiful and so deep that it's as if we are, well, I believe we are with him and our head is laid upon his heart, his, the, oh, his heart.
0: That's just so beautiful, Michael. Will you, with that thought, pray for St. John?
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Bishop. Let us pray. Shed upon your church, Lord, the brightness of your light, that we, being illumined by the teaching of your apostle and evangelist, John, may so walk in the light of your truth, that at length we may attain to the fullness of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, let's move to December the 28th, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Now, Michael, I have to confess to you that this day, December 28th, is a significant day for me and my beloved Brenda because it is our wedding anniversary. Okay. Okay. And the bishop, Bishop Derek Eaton, to whom I will always refer to as my bishop, stood up at our wedding service uh, just after Christmas, December the 28th. And he said, we've come here to celebrate the Feast of the Holy Innocents, as we remember Julian and Brenda. But then he said, of course, that's taking the feast entirely out of context, <laughs> uh, which it is, because this is really a gruesome story. And yes. it's it, it it's. It's somewhat beyond our comprehension. Let me just set the scene. So the wise men have traveled from the East. Um, uh, they bring their message. Um, they're looking for the Messiah, the King of the Jews. That's an important phrase because enter into this um, horrific season, uh, a man called Herod. He was a pretty grotesque, gruesome, and dark figure and, um, And they go back, and uh, they declare that they have come to meet the king of the Jews. And uh, Herod summons these wise men secretly. uh, I'm in Matthew chapter 2. And ascertains from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. Well, they knew, of course, that wasn't Herod's intention. Herod was sly, um, uh, and he later um, orders the execution of every male child under the age of two uh, in an attempt to eradicate Jesus. The phrase we would use today is to cancel Jesus, to get rid of him, to remove every, any possible threat to his rule and his reign. Let me read some of it to you. Then Herod, when he saw that had been tricked by the wise men, because they, they don't go back to Herod, they leave by another way, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years yes. old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 31. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Wait, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. In fact, Rachel is, is buried in Ramah on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And then the uh, scripture goes on that when Herod had died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and Mary in a dream. They had fled to Egypt. They'd become refugees down there, displaced persons. In fact, Lord willing, should we be able to take our tour to the Holy Land, uh, September 2024, it starts in Egypt And we'll visit some of these places where it's believed Mary and Joseph and the baby young child Jesus lived before they return uh, to Nazareth and Jesus um, grows up in those years. Um, But Michael, this must have been horrific. Um, uh, Imagine holding your little infant son and army warriors from the king come in uh, and execute them. Talk Talk to me a little about this.
1: Again, this reminds me of Michael Card's book, of Violent oh, Grace. Yes.
0: Tell me the phrase again
1: A Violent Grace. A violent Grace. Yeah. That the, yep. the Lord of Glory, uh, grace and truth has come into the world, uh, and yet the power of evil, uh, um, the dominion of darkness, in an attempt to thwart God's will, works such evil um, through King Herod. And here, in a sense, we see the whole world uh, seeking Jesus in the Magi. You know, the, these were, you know, these are our pagans, you, you know, and they're they're seeking, they're seeking Jesus. And, and of course, we see this again just before his death on the cross. Uh, Sir, we would see Jesus when the Gentiles ask uh, to see the Lord. Uh and Jesus says the, the hour is now at hand. And of course, this is the next time Jesus is referred to uh as the King of the Jews as well, uh, with the inscription above him. So there's this connection between his 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 um his birth and and his death that we see um played out. I, I'm reminded of one good Friday that fell on march 25th the feast of the annunciation and in the good friday service we carried in a, a life-size wooden cross and i pounded nails into um both the the far left the far right or the cross beam and then you know where the feet would be and in between the pounding of the nails which rang out throughout the church um uh A young woman, uh, a girl um, saying one verse each in between of Silent Night, Mm. reminding us the connection between the coming of the Lord into the world and his and his death. And so a violent grace. And so these children so innocent and their mothers holding them, as you you mentioned, giving their lives without knowing that they were doing so
0: and michael mary and joseph i've always assumed i mean and, and i and i do want to talk just a little bit about bethlehem mary and joseph would have known most of these families mm-hmm. relatives many of them bethlehem was a small place back then yes. um it 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 wasn't large it's not super large today but it's a it's a it's often not right at the moment but a bustling city um uh, uh but it, back in jesus day it was small Imagine the reports. We assume Mary and Joseph would have received down in Egypt. Herod's come in, uh, killed our relatives' children. I mean, it must have been horrific.
1: Yes, uh, the yes, and well, in in the prophecy that is quoted, right? Mm. She cannot mm. be consoled. Mm.
0: Right, mm. The, the, just the, unbelievable. The, it reminds us, Michael, also of the of the considerable. Indisputable importance of the sanctity of every human life, including life in the womb. Amen. And um, we 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 are about in January this year. Uh, many people will gather in our nation's capital, um, not not to protest against abortion, but to celebrate life. And yeah. we we recognize that in the womb, and I and I I do recognize this is so painful and controversial to many. But in the womb, it is God Himself who 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 knits together a new life from the moment of conception yes. to natural gr- death. Every human life is so loved and valued by God, and. Yeah. Our own diocese wrote this into it, the canons of our church. The the the, um, I don't like to call them um, uh, of rules, but but that but they speak truth to the way the church operates and governs from the scriptures. And we believed it was so important. So too did the Anglican Church in North America to codify into canon law the sanctity of every human life.
1: And although Psalm fifty one speaks, um, you know. Uh, I am a sinner from my mother's womb from the time that she conceived Mm. me. Conception has been sanctified because in the moment, you know, conceived by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary Mm. and became man. that moment of conception in the womb for our Lord is the first, firstly, the womb becomes the first tabernacle of God incarnate. Secondly, that is the meeting place now not the the tent of meeting that being a foreshadowing not the temple he himself is the temple so the the conception becomes the meeting place between uh god the creator and his creation between heaven and earth between the infinite and the finite between the eternal and the temporal that is the meeting place in the in in the womb of of the blessed virgin mary that moment of conception and everything that he passes through is is wholly sanctified, including conception, the womb, birth and so forth uh, is sanctified by the fact that heaven and earth have come together. Uh, how awesome it is, is the womb? For uh, in Mary was none other than the me- the the gateway to heaven and the meeting place with God at you know to quote Jacob.
0: And I've also found it so interesting, Michael. And then I want to talk about Bethlehem. And if you would allow me, I'd love to pray this collet, this particular one uh, yeah. for December twenty eighth. But um, uh, I've always found it so interesting that uh, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, is pregnant with John in her womb. And she receives a visit from Mary, who's pregnant with our Lord in her womb. And we read that John, I've always felt so sorry for Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaps for joy uh, in the womb. And that should signal to us the sanctity of life inside the womb. John's responding to the unborn Messiah
1: in the womb of his mother. Even from the womb, fulfilling his call to point to beyond him. himself, representing the all the, the prophets to point. B. He must increase, but I must decrease pointing beyond himself to the Messiah, to the Christ. Uh, it's absolutely. And it's from the womb that he began. When did he, people always say, when did Jesus begin his ministry? Well, when he initiated uh Christian baptism and his own baptism in the Jordan, right? When did John begin his ministry a little bit earlier? He in began the in the womb. <laughs>
0: Let me just make a a brief mention about Bethlehem. These events we read happened in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Uh, Bethlehem, uh, many of you will have visited there. If you haven't, it's a sacred place to go to the uh, shepherd's fields to worship um, uh, in the church of the nativity where you go down into the grotto uh, where it is said that Jesus is born and to pause there and consider God incarnate, the incarnate deity, uh, being born and coming among us. But Bethlehem today is a tragic city. Um, It's a tragedy because the Christian presence in Bethlehem has been rapidly declining over the last sixty years, even longer than that. In nineteen fifty, there were eighty-seven percent of the little town of Bethlehem were Christians. In 2016, 12% of the little town of Bethlehem were Christians. I fear to tell you what it is today. We had a dear Palestinian Christian from Bethlehem reporting in on one of our most recent Prayer for Israel Zoom meetings. uh, And he reminded us that so many of the Christian community today have left. The church is dwindling in that holy city. I ask you to pause for a moment and pray for the Christians, the Palestinian Christians of Bethlehem, that they may be a light to the world in that incredible place where the light came among us, where the Word of God was cradled in the arms of Mary. Let's pause for a moment, and I'll pave a prayer of a collect for the Feast of Holy Innocence. Let us pray. Almighty God, Out of the mouths of children you manifest your truth. And by the death of the holy innocents at the hands of evil tyrants, you show your strength in our weakness. We ask you to mortify all that is evil within us, and so strengthen us by your grace that we may glorify your holy name by the innocence of our lives and the constancy of our faith even unto death through Jesus Christ our Lord, who died for us and now lives with you, and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. It's been my pleasure to have uh, Archdeacon Michael McKinnon, Rector of Church of the Advent, uh, with me today. We've been talking to you about three feasts, the Feast of St. Stephen, the Feast of St. John, and the Feast of the Holy Innocents. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this is Living Through the Word. I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace.